I start this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you now that we can gather in this place. And we do so because we want you to speak to our hearts and bless us as we spend this time together. So open up our hearts and we will receive these things and, and that we will know that God is real, that it will change the way we think. So help us, we ask. We're continuing Easter thoughts. He is risen and he is risen indeed. And we're, there's a lot to say about Easter, of course, can't say it in one service. So our text is Matthew chapter 28. And just a little side note before I start. It was the Methodist people starting in England and then coming to America who held church wherever they could. Methodist people held church in barns and in fields, wherever they could go, uh, they met for church. And in this little corner right here, they met in a schoolhouse. And that's how the East Shelby Church started way back in the early 1800s. Farmers from the area got together and met in a schoolhouse right up on this corner here. And that's where they met. A traveling preacher came around on a horse out of Niagara Falls and preached to the folks when he, they were available. And so uh, that's how this started. So we're not so far off. We're okay. We're happy to be doing this. It's what they did before. We're glad to be doing it again today. Our text is in Matthew chapter 28. As we think again some of the thoughts around the resurrection of Christ, on Easter Sunday. When I was a young boy, my mother had a way of expressing herself without saying much. She had a very expressive face and was able to express a whole series of emotions by just giving me what I call the look. When I was in elementary school, there were three different letters that you could get on your report card. E was for excellent, and S was for satisfactory, but N stood for needs improvement. Well, one time I got an N on my report card, and I pointed it out to my teacher, and she said, it's nothing, it's just something you need to improve. Well, I went home and gave the report card to mom, and she got a look on her face, and it was a look of disapproval. She just said two words, what's this? <laughs> and my heart kind of sunk. And I said, the teacher says I just need to improve. And mom said, oh, you will improve. Be sure of that, you will improve. I remember one day when mom and I were going to go to the store. And we got in the car, and the car wouldn't start. And she said, well... I guess we're not going to the store. So I went off on a little tirade. I said, you got a whole lot of friends that would be happy to give you a ride to the store. Just make a phone call. We can get a ride from almost anyone. We don't have to sit home. So just make a call. And Mom gave me another look. And she said three words. Are you finished? The look in her eyes said, you don't tell me what to do. Are you finished? There was another occasion 
I grew up a little, and I finally got to be as big as my brother. He was five years older than me, and for years he beat me up regularly. Well, one day I decided I think I can take him, so the next time something happens, I'm going to try. Well, he did something I didn't like, so I grabbed him by the neck, and he grabbed me by the neck, and soon we both fell on the floor with a death grip on each other. We were both determined not to let go. Mom walked into the room and she stared at us lying on the floor. And with that look in her eye, she said one sentence. One of you will have to let go first. But the look in her eye said, you two idiots, who's ever got the most intelligence should let go first. We both figured out that that look meant let go at the same time. <laughs> and so we did. But I had a quiet joy that I kept to myself because I noticed my brother wore a turtleneck for several days because I left marks on his neck. So I was proud of that. But I didn't dare, <laughs> I, I didn't dare tell mom. Of course, mom also had special looks, looks of approval, and sometimes looks of love. I remember it's our anniversary after 46 years this week. I remember the day I got married. I got all dressed up in the morning and I was sitting in the kitchen with her. Uh, she and I were sitting there just waiting like we had done most of our lives. And I think she was searching for something to say. And then with her eyes all full of love, she finally said the only thing she could think of, you can come home and eat anytime you want, she said. <laughs> that was a wonderful look, and I'll never forget that look. Over the years, with her eyes, she had expressed disapproval and correction and disgust and intolerance and joy and approval and love just by giving me that look. No long speeches, no lectures, just a look and a couple of words, and she got it done. In our resurrection text today, we find a rather interesting situation. It's not what you'd expect, and it centers around a look an expression of a face. No words needed, just a look will do. Now we go to Matthew's Gospel for his account of the resurrection. Each gospel, each gospel writer gives a slightly different account of what happened on that first Easter morning. What we know is that a group of ladies had decided on Friday afternoon after they watched Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus bury Jesus in a tomb that the ladies would gather on Sunday morning and do a proper burial, wash the body thoroughly and anoint it with burial spices, rewrap it carefully. But of course, no one in those days had a watch to synchronize so they got up early, and they left from different locations. That's the only way you can describe what happened. At different times, they left, 
And so they did not all arrive at the tomb at the same time. Therefore, each account is slightly different because different ladies arrived and saw things at different times. So let's see what Matthew tells us about his account. Matthew 28, beginning at the first verse. When the end of the Sabbath had begun to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him the keepers did shake, and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Fear not ye, for I know ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. It's the beginning of the third day since Jesus died, and standing guard over the tomb are Roman soldiers. Now the reason for the guard was that the Jews, who recalled that Jesus said he would rise on the third day, asked Pilate for soldiers to stand guard in case Jesus' disciples tried to rob the body of Jesus from the grave. Now, it's not a real dangerous assignment, guarding the tomb of a dead man. It's not a great threat that the disciples might try to rob the tomb. No one has seen hiding or hair of them for the last three days. So the soldiers stand guard. The night is divided into four watches of three hours, from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., from 9 p.m. to midnight, from midnight to 3 a.m., and from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. The soldiers would trade off. A couple of them would sleep while some of them stood guard. And, of course, any soldier who falls asleep on guard duty will pay with his life. Number one rule, standing guard, you never fall asleep. Now the weapons of the day are swords and spears. With these, the Roman soldiers are well trained. So they are armed and ready. After all, Jesus' followers were mostly just a bunch of fishermen. And so they posed no threat to well trained Roman soldiers. But more to the point, these Roman soldiers are really tough guys. They are not sissies. They crucify people for a living. They're hard and calloused, well-trained soldiers. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to challenge one of them. It's the fourth watch of the night, the last three hours before dawn. And suddenly, in the pre-dawn darkness, there's a light coming down from out of the dark sky. The first look is questioning, of course, as the soldiers look up, what's that light coming down? And as it comes closer, they can see it's a shining person. Now, I wish we had an exact sequence of the details First, you see the light, it comes closer, you realize it's a shining person, and he's coming right towards you. 
naturally you grab your sword and your shield to get ready. But now this shining person comes to the ground, he ignores you, or I wonder if he gave him a look. <laughs> I think he might have given him a look, but he didn't say anything. He grabs the stone, easily weighing half a ton, and in an amazing display of power, he tosses it aside like a paperweight. The ropes snap like spaghetti. Obviously, no swords and shields are any match for this powerful, shining person. And apparently what happens is the Roman soldiers have a sudden huge release of adrenaline into their systems and their hearts pounding furiously in their chest, demanding more oxygen, and unable to provide the oxygen required, gasping for breath, they faint dead away on the ground. They may be tough guys. They may not be sissies, but they've never seen anything like that before. And the look on that angel's face is described to be like lightning, flashing in bursts of blinding light coming out of his face. The angel didn't have to say, get out of my way. <laughs> and he didn't have to say, I challenge you. He just looked at him. That's all it took. But notice, the angel sits on top of the stone that he has tossed aside. And the ladies come and he talks to those ladies. Now, it seems to me that a normal sequence of events would be the ladies would faint, not the soldiers. After all, he's the same angel. So why do the soldiers faint and not the ladies? Well, I think he gave those Roman soldiers the look which said, I dare you. <laughs> and the challenging look that was didn't need any words. But to the ladies, he changed his face and he had a different look, a look of kindness, a helpful look, a let me explain it look. And he says to them, he's not here. He's risen. You're looking for Jesus. He's not here. So go spread the news. Go tell his disciples. The same angel, but different looks. So the ladies run off to tell the disciples. They actually meet Jesus in the road as they go. But what about the soldiers? Well, it takes a while, but finally their bodies get enough oxygen. They slowly wake up from their fainted state. There must have been several Roman soldiers there, and they all fainted. And slowly they wake up. In verse 11, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed to the chief priests all the things that were done. First thing as they come to their senses, they look around. Where did that shining angel go? Well, he's not here. Good. We're glad he's gone. And then they wake each other up. And there's a stone tossed aside. Naturally, they would crawl down. They would have to crawl into the tomb. They crawl down into the tomb the body 
is gone from the stone shelf where it was laid. And the linen grave clothes are all neatly folded, lying on one side of the stone slab. And on the other side of the stone slab is a special cloth, a face cloth, which is also neatly folded and lying in perfect order. Certainly not the work of grave robbers. We don't know where he is, but he's not here. So what do we do? If we go tell Pilate, he'll say we failed in our duty to guard the tomb and he will have our heads cut off. So what are we going to do? How do we proceed? We are as good as dead men. We have failed. The body we were to stand guard over is gone. Now the Jews wanted him killed. We got to tell someone. So some of you stay here in case he shows up. And the rest of us will go tell the priests in the temple what happened. So they go. And of course they tell their amazing story of a shining person who came out of the night sky. The Jews know that that's an angel. They probably didn't know that, but the Jews know it's an angel. And the soldiers say, he terrified us, and we fainted dead away. And when we came to, the body was gone, but not by grave robbers. The grave clothes were all neatly folded and laid out on the stone slab. We don't know what happened to him or where he is, but we are in serious trouble. Verse 12. When they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money to the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole them away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And the saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Now here's the Jewish leaders. They're all gathered in council, and they recognize the description of the soldiers, that shining person that tossed aside the stone. They knew that was an angel. And they remember Jesus said he would rise on the third day, and the grave clothes are neatly folded, and the body is gone. There's only one logical conclusion. He has risen from the dead. So they say to the Roman soldiers, Look, we want you to say you fell asleep and the disciples stole his body. And the soldiers say, We can't say that. If we say we fell asleep, Pilate will have us killed. He's a ruthless man. That doesn't make sense anyway. Do you think we could sleep through somebody knocking over a half-ton stone? We can't say that. Pilate will never believe it. The body is gone, and we're as good as dead anyway. We can't say what you want us to say. Well, says the Jews, we'll give you money. Well, what good is money to us if we're dead? We can't say that. And so they raised the price, and they raised it again. And then the soldiers hesitated. Wow, that's a lot of money. But we're still dead. It's no good. Pilate will find out. 
And so the Jews say, okay, we'll bribe Pilate too. We've done that before. We know how to do it. No matter what, how much it takes, we'll bribe Pilate and we will protect you with bribes to Pilate. Any price he demands, we will pay. And finally, the soldiers say, how much was that again that you were willing to give me? And the bribe is accepted. Isn't it amazing that they paid Judas Iscariot 30 pieces of silver, which at that time was a paltry sum, to get Jesus crucified? But they paid huge sums of money trying to keep Jesus from resurrecting from the dead. Here's a strange thing. John the Baptist told those Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. And they said, ah, we don't even know him. He's not one of us. Then Jesus healed a man paralyzed for 38 years. And they said he did it on the Sabbath day. He can't be the Messiah. Then Jesus healed a man born blind. And they said, we don't know where Jesus came from. He's nobody special. And then Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after being dead for four days. And then they said, everybody's going to believe in Jesus now. We better just kill him. Get it over with. But now... Jesus has risen from the dead. There's really no question about it. Do they finally say, okay, we give. We give up. He's the Messiah. No. They say, we will pay you huge amounts of money if you promise to tell a lie. We want you to lie for us. We would ask those Jewish rulers, can't you tell you've been beaten, Jesus won and you lost? If you pay them to lie, then you know the truth, or you wouldn't be paying them to lie. So give it up. You lost. He won. No, my friends, we see something here common to human nature. It is the human condition. It's in all of us. There's not a person here today that likes to have anybody tell them what to do. Huh? <laughs> That's right. We don't want people telling us what to do, not even God, and sometimes especially not God. The human heart is naturally in rebellion against God since the Garden of Eden when God said don't eat of that fruit and they did it anyways. We have had rebellion in our hearts against God. And if we can ignore God, we'll do that. But when it gets down to the main facts, Jesus died for our sins and Jesus rose from the grave, you can't ignore it. People think if I accept Jesus as my Savior, he'll be telling me what I have to do. And I don't want to be told what to do by anyone. And so it's true to this very day. People say, I don't care what Jesus did. He's not telling me what to do. Now the answer to all that is in the last verses. Verse 16 
when the 11 disciples went away to Galilee to a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now why did some of them doubt? Because Jesus was different. Not really different, but yes, different. He had the same kindness in his manner. He had the same tone in his voice. He had the same loving look in his eye, but he's different. He used to eat and drink and sleep and walk and talk just like we did. But now it's him. We know it's him, but he's different. Oh, yes, he is different. He's got a glorified body now that can shine whenever he wants to shine. He can go without food because he doesn't need it anymore. He can appear or disappear. That's right. Paul says he took off the earthly and put on the heavenly. You know him, but you also know he's different. So some of them doubt, yet not really. They just can't grasp it. So Jesus will explain in verse 18. Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. All power is given unto him in heaven and on earth. And when and because he rose from the dead, he was given absolute authority over this whole earth. He runs the show. He's in charge. Jesus alone controls the destiny of planet earth and every person on it. And you can say, I don't want to do what Jesus says, but you are going to do what he says because he's in charge. Rebel and be compelled anyway or cooperate. How? How do we cooperate? Well, that's our job. We go and tell everyone the good news. Teach them. Baptize them. Immerse them in truth. And teach them to obey. It won't be hard. I want to tell you, my friends, obeying Jesus is a pleasure. And it's a, that's right, it's a promise. You obey him, and then you get a promise that goes with it. I am with you always. Does that mean today, April 19th, 2020, in this messed up, crazy world, confused, frightened, and out of focus world? Yes, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, no matter what happens. He didn't say, I'll be with you unless there's trouble. So, my friends, don't be afraid of the corona. Jesus said, I am with you always. That's the way to live. That's the way to live, my friends. You do what he says. Refocus this out-of-focused world. The person in charge has risen from the dead and alive forevermore. He promises never to abandon us and never to forsake us. Just look at him. Just look at him. He'll look at you with a look that says, I love you. Come on with me. Let's go. And you, when you see that look, 
you will know this. He is risen and he is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. So shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you did. The power that overcame all forces changed you so that it could change us. We want to be like you. We want to be your servants. We want to do what you tell us to do. So help us to trust in you with all our hearts and reach down inside of us and get hold of us so that we learn you're in control. There's nothing to fear. And in this world that seems out of control, we have a controlling force and a stabilizing power in our Lord Jesus Christ. So help us, Lord, we pray, that we might do as you tell us to do. Bless these people because they have come and been with us today. Be especially kind to them, whoever they are, and warm their hearts. Let them know that God is real that everything we do for him will last forever. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll finish up with the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
We know there's a hurting world out there that needs your love, your kindness, your forgiveness. And we just pray that you would help us to do our best to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We thank you for that. And thank you that you are risen indeed and that you have shown your power. May we have obedient hearts as we bow before you now in obedience, we pray. Touch each person, whether they're here or across the globe, wherever they might be. And we thank you for this opportunity, this great time in which we can stand up and do mighty things for you. Watch what great things our God, the Almighty God, will do. We thank you for these things and we ask for protection. Bring these folks back to this place to listen again. We thank you very much for what you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you.